a beautiful hymn that we use sometimes at the beginning of the year, remembering our covenant with God. It comes out of John Wesley's emphasis on covenanting and the covenant prayer, which you find on the uh, front page of your newsletter today, which reminds us as we start a new year, it's time to recommit ourselves again to the love and service of God. My word of welcome to you again today. We welcome you in the name of Christ and pray that as we continue to explore his word in the Gospel of Matthew, that we will hear something a little new and different today because we have a challenge in front of us. Now, some of you may, uh, before I get to the scripture, some of you probably realized that preachers have a few little things that they do to, to try to beef up their sermons. You know, there's sometimes there are a lot of uh, antics that preachers do. Um, sometimes, though, they will do things like, um, well, I had one preacher who said to me one time, he said, David, now it's easier to fan a fire than it is to build one. So if you realize that you've made a connection with the congregation in a particular point, just kind of keep going on that for a little while. You know, just fan that flame. Don't have to build a whole new fire to get, get them started again. Um, you probably know also that we will turn to commentators. Uh, we'll take a, uh, take a look at a scripture passage and, you know, come to our best understanding of it and our interpretation of it. But we'll check that with some of our favorite commentators. You know, for example, that two of my favorites are William Barclay and Fred Craddock. And you hear me quote from them uh, on occasion, regular occasion. Uh, well, there are a number of things that we do just to kind of help connect, keep things moving, engage us with the word. But I was a little disturbed by a comment that I found about today's passage that came from one of the commentators. He says, frankly, I have never found the flight to Egypt or the return to Nazareth as particularly productive for preaching after Christmas. Well, I wondered if perhaps in taking that challenge, if perhaps we ought to maybe try to get a different perspective on it. Do you remember in the movie uh, Dead Poets Society what they did to get a different perspective? The students came and they stood on top of the teacher's desk and looked at the room in a whole new and different way. Maybe that's what we need. It's just a new perspective on this story of the flight to Egypt. There was a child that was uh, in a Sunday school class and they were, um, they were uh, drawing pictures about the flight to Egypt. And one child had drawn a picture of a single engine, looked like a Cessna kind of airplane, with four passengers in it. And the, and the teacher says, well, what have you got there? And he says, well, it's the flight to Egypt. And she wanted to know more. And so she says, well, who are these four people in here? And he says, well, one is Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. And she said, well, who's the last one? And he says, well, that's Pontius the pilot. <laughs> I had to tell that, you know. But, but here we take a look in Matthew's second chapter, the follow-up to what happens after the visit of the Magi. Let me invite you to stand for the reading today. Begins with the 13th verse of Matthew's second chapter. Let's hear what God might say to us through the scriptures. Now after they, meaning the Magi, had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, 
took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah when it says, A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up. Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth. So that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled, he will be called a Nazarene. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Be seated. I'll just kind of pick up on the passage that Danny gave, uh, gave to us a little bit ago from Ecclesiastes 3. One of my favorite passages that is a time to laugh, a time to weep, a time to make war or peace, to love, to hate, to be silent, to speak, a time for everything under heaven. In this particular case, though, it was a time to run for Joseph and Mary and Jesus. This gives us a good time, I think, to take a look at some of the other players in the Christmas drama or the infancy narratives that we have in Luke and Matthew. And in this case, particularly, Herod the Great, the Roman-approved ruler of Palestine. If you look at the very first two verses in Matthew's second chapter, you read words that set up this whole circumstance of threat and confrontation. Where it says, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, I'm not sure, but I don't believe that one asks a king the address of the new king. And I don't believe that one country comfortably accommodates Two kings. Of course, Herod's response to the time-shattering event of Jesus' birth is much less honorable than that of the shepherds or the wise men. In fact, it's downright evil and brutal. Herod's desire to kill the child, followed by his command that all boy babies be destroyed in and around Bethlehem, two years old or younger stands in stark contrast with the beautiful story of holy family and shepherds and angels and stable. The record of this weak king, Herod, 
who thought he was strong, this nearsighted king who thought he had a vision, this man of history who's remembered so badly, reminds us today that the light shines in the midst of a great darkness. And Herod's actions remind us that children are often the innocent victims of our adult issues, our ego needs, our anger, our wars even. And when we imagine the clattering of the swords of Herod's soldiers and the slaughter of the innocents, we must remember that children are always the innocent victims of our adult violence. If you can hear Herod scream, Find that baby! You can probably also remember the last time you raised your voice a bit too strongly to your own children. Because we choose anger, because we seek power, because we think we're big, it's the children who suffer many times, just like they did when Herod went over the edge. Herod reminds us that even in the midst of Christmas, there's still a lot of darkness out there, and there's even a lot of darkness in us. Forgive us, Lord when the Herod in us comes out. I think this is also a good time to take another look at Jesus from another perspective. Of course, there's a biblical parallel that's taking place here as we go through the infancy narrative in Matthew. Because if you take that story and you project it back into the Old Testament, who's the parallel figure in the Old Testament? It's Moses. You get things like, the slaughtering of the innocents. You remember? Moses was in a basket because Pharaoh was after the Hebrew children. Remember? Out of Egypt, the words, out of Egypt I have called my son, applied to Jesus and to Moses. Where did they go and speak with God? Up on the holy mountain, whose face was transfigured. Jesus' face was transfigured. Moses came down from the mountain with a radiant glow upon him. Neither one got to get to the triumphant end. Moses never made it to the promised land. Jesus never saw the triumph of the early church beyond the resurrection after he ascended. But as you take a look at this Jesus as a baby or an infant, he's still a baby. We don't know exactly his age. But Herod's, um, Herod's choosing the age of two years might give us a hint. It could have been at least two years before Herod's, uh, Herod's decree went out or following the, the information from the wise men who told him when it was the star appeared that they began to look for this baby. We do know that Jesus, however old he was up to the age of two, was still very fragile. Perhaps you remember, I think I've told about this experience once before here at St. Matthew's, but uh, when I was a chaplain at Grady Hospital as part of my seminary experience, um, I was stationed uh, on several different floors, surgical intensive care and uh, a rehab unit of the hospital, but also a unit for complicated pregnancies. And then along with that, 
an intensive care unit for young babies who'd been born who were still struggling a bit. Not, not intensive, intensive care, but kind of intermediate intensive care. And as, uh, as I would go to those different floors, I would visit with patients, and I discovered that as I went to the intensive care unit for the babies, I could visit with the babies. And I was encouraged to, to hold the babies and rock them and, you know, offer them some nurture and some love that it's kind of hard to experience when you're in an incubator. So anyway, um, on this particular day, the nurse had given me a baby to hold and to rock, and I was looking at the tiny little hands. They were all very small in this unit. Tiny little hands, little fingers, tiny little feet, little toes, little rosebud mouth, tiny little eyes. Baby was asleep and just breathing away. And all of a sudden I realized as I looked at the baby in the face, there was no movement, no breathing. And it began to well up inside of me, the panic, the terror began to generate inside of me. And just as I was about to holler for help, the little baby goes, <sighs> and breathing again. I guess it was just taking a break. I don't know. The nurse came back in and says, well, can I take the baby? Please. <laughs> you know. But it was so fragile, so tiny. Baby like that needed a place of refuge, needed nurture, needed care, far beyond what I felt like I was capable of giving. But here, Israel is looking for a prince, a warrior, a powerful leader, and they get this tiny, fragile baby. At the worst, this is a baby in need of refuge. At the best, this is a baby in need of a place to be nurtured, a place to grow far away from the clattering of swords. <clears throat> and even though God is an all-powerful God, you realize we would not know Jesus if not for the nurturing hands and hearts of Joseph and Mary, and if not for the land of Egypt as a place of refuge for this tiny child at a dramatic, perilous moment in his life. That is a different perspective on Jesus, isn't it? Lastly, today, while Jesus needed Egypt then, Jesus still needs places of refuge today. Egypt had long been a place of refuge. You remember when Jacob and his sons experienced famine in their own land? Where did they go? They went to the land of Egypt and then there found their brother Joseph once again. Egypt had long been a place of refuge for the Jewish uh, nation. The Hebrews had found their way into Egypt time and time again. And there were Jewish communities in the variety of cities there in Egypt. So when Joseph and Mary made their way from Israel into Egypt, they knew that they would be able to find friends, neighbors, maybe even relatives there as they went seeking refuge. William Barclay shares two interesting legends about the flight to Egypt. The first one has to do with who is called Dismas, the penitent thief on the cross. As the story goes, Dismas was among robbers who stopped and robbed the Holy Family as they made their way to Egypt. 
And Dismas was the one who stops the robber chief from murdering the family on the spot. Reportedly, he says to the child, if ever there come a time for having mercy on me, then remember me and forget not this hour. The other little legend is about a spider who wove a web covering the entrance to a cave where the Holy Family had taken shelter from the night. And as Hebrew soldiers came by, seeing the unbroken web covering the mouth of the cave, they decide that no one could be in there, and they pass it by. Today, we use tinsel on our Christmas trees because of this little legend. Friends, the baby Jesus still looks for places to be nurtured and sheltered. And he seeks people who will protect him and foster his growth. He's looking to us. And he's looking for us to provide those places. He's counting on us for a place of refuge. There's a lot of darkness these days. There are very real threats to the baby these days. There may be no Herods running around, no soldiers, but even the church can be brutal in its attacks upon the baby. No, we're not killing children, but we slash at him with swords of apathy, with daggers of small thinking and cold hearts, with rapiers of hypocrisy and littleness. We injure him through our neglect and indifference. We pierce his heart with what we could have done but didn't. But it is good news that Jesus is in need of refuge. And it is good news that he wants to find that refuge with us. We can give to him the warmest and most secure place that I know. We can give him our hearts. He needs us. He needs you. Will you give him your heart once again? Here in a new year, perhaps we would do well to sing the song that I learned as a child. We sang it this way. Into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, come in today, come in to stay, come into my heart, Lord Into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, come in today, come in to stay, come into my place of refuge. 
in a brand new year. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.